You're listening to the Platsky Corner, your podcast on the Capital Region sports news and interviews. Welcome into episode five of the Palazzi Corner. Jason and Joey Palazzi back with you again this week as we discuss some local 518 football. We have Coach Dwayne Killings from UAlbany Men's Basketball on as our exclusive interview for this week. But before we get into the news and the interview of the week, Joe, first of all, how are you doing this evening? Great, Jay. We got a, uh, another big interview, our fifth interview here on the Palazzi Corner. They've all been big guests. We've had some national ranked, we've had some national ranked guests. Some Division One guests now, and getting into Dwayne Killings. Uh, he's going to be our second consecutive Division One affiliated interview, and he's a new face to the Capital Region scene um, recently, or over these past few months, I should say. So it's going to be a good interview for a lot of people in the Capital Region. Get to know Dwayne, uh, Coach Dwayne Killings, and kind of get to know the story behind him and this U Albany team going forward. Before we get into the episode, Joe, we've had four interviews so far. We're going to talk to Coach Killings after we discuss the news before the interview but through the first five guests what have, what's been your takeaway so far and uh, any guys specifically or quotes or anything that has stuck out to you um when you say guys specifically i think oh that's a good question when i when you say guys specifically i'd have to think adam zabrowski because that was number one so it's always gonna have a special spot in my heart um Quotes, I still think Zach By had the best messages. I think Nick had some sneaky good messages in there as well. Um, in terms of overall uh, takeaways, I'd say the amount of talent tied to the Capital Region is absolutely insane because these first five guests have been, what, a Division Three player of the year, uh, Division One top 25 runner, Division One basketball coach. Um, Zach's now in Denver in a premier market, and... George, who's a nationally ranked D3 quarterback. And these are all guys with capital region ties, and we're just scrapping the surface, too. Absolutely. So awesome interview. Awesome interviews we've had so far. Another awesome interview that we'll have later on in this episode with Coach Killings. But you got to answer the same thing. You got to answer the same thing, Jay. uh, All right. Well, I'd have to say, I think, you know, we've been extremely lucky to have the guests that we've had, you know, each one so far. Um, You know, when we, we're talking about creating this podcast and even still now it's all about the stories for us. And we wanted to learn about people's journeys and, you know, their backgrounds and where they came from. And, you know, we've been lucky enough to do that with the five guests that we've had so far. I mean, we talk about, first of all, Adam Zabrowski, who was a guy that was local and, you know, he's now had the opportunity and he's, you know, climbing, it seems like, and he's going to have a great opportunity, hopefully in the Braves organization over the next few years. And then Zach by a guy who was local you know, small school, you know, Scotia Glenville. And then he's now exploded as, you know, a radio host at one of the premier markets in the country. And then in episode three, we had George, who's had a tremendous career RPI. They're a top 25 football program this year. And then we had Nick last week, which was another great interview. And like we've talked about, he was the Mac champion and he is a uh, top 25 program runner himself. Yeah, Jeff, I think this is kind of a milestone episode. It's kind of weird how, you know, it's just intervals of fives or tens or whatever it is. But episode five, I feel like we're kind of at a milestone. Episode four became our um, or became our our most streamed episode of the uh, the Nick Nitro interviews. Now number one most streamed episode of the Palazzi Corner, and we're only going up from here. Yeah, and it great. It was a great interview as well. It was a great episode. 
uh, you know, Nick, like you said, has the most listened to episode, although Adam Zabrowski is right behind him. I'm taking a look at the, the charts right now. He's literally one play behind Nick for the most listened to podcast. And we're off to a great start with the Plotsy Corner. But let's get off to a great start here in episode five, Joe. We'll begin with around the five and we'll begin with the Union Football, who moved to 8-0 this past weekend to extend their now program record regular season win streak to 21 consecutive games as they defeated Hobart 27-20 in overtime. And Joe, this was really the first game that Union has been challenged all season. Back and forth game, each team had 370 yards of offense and Union only ran one more play. Yeah, Jay, it was back and forth, like you said. I mean, it was neck and neck the entire way and it shows in the final scoreboard. Um, This game ended up going to overtime. Union takes it in overtime and they were able to stop Hobart just one yard short of the first down line as well. So it was neck and neck all afternoon long. Union got off to a uh, a 10-0 start. But it was a lot of uh, the the game was tied for some points, and there were a lot of lead changes as well. But Union able to come away with a uh, twenty seven to twenty victory. Yeah, back and forth game all afternoon. Like we said, came all the way down to the wire, went into overtime. Hobart finished off the fifteen play sixty five yard drive with a field goal with six seconds left to send the game to overtime, and then Union handing the ball off to our guy Ike Raber, who we've talked about a lot in the early stages of the Platzi corner. Ran seven plays, six official. The other one was called as defensive pass interference, so there was no play. And all six official plays were handoffs to Ike Raber. Yeah, I mean, that just speaks volumes of the kind of guy you have in the backfield. Just an absolute horse. When you when you got to draw up a play in overtime and who are you giving the ball to? You're giving it to Ike Raber. And until the Hobart defense finds a way to stop him, we're going to keep feeding him. And they weren't able to find a way to stop him. Union scores, and then the defense stands tall as well. So... All all facets of the game were playing real well for Union on Saturday, and Iker Raber has just been fantastic for them all season. 36 carries for 121 yards and two touchdowns for Raber this past Saturday. He continues not only his tremendous season, but his tremendous Union career as he moved into seventh place in Union history and rushing yards. And another guy that we haven't talked about really so far in this podcast, but deserves just as much recognition to the success of this Union office is Andre Ross Jr., and he had a great game as well, Joe. Yeah, Andre Ross Jr. had moved or he moved into sole possession of third place in receiving yards. Now has uh, or he had 175 yards on seven catches and a touchdown as well. So he's a name we haven't been mentioning a whole lot because Iker Raber has been so solid. And but Andre Ross Jr. went himself and had it went and had himself a day as well. Yeah. And this union offense has been kind of like we said, it's been dual faceted. They can throw the ball and they can run the ball. And, you know, they had. 370 yards of offense this past week. A Raber, you know, really was their only running back. We didn't see a whole lot of Jonathan Anderson. He only had six carries. Uh, they only had two other carries. Otherwise, one from Bellamy, one from Austin St. Pierre. But 203 yards through the air and then 167 yards on the ground. And really just another dual, dual faceted performance all around by the Dutchman offense. Yeah, Iker Raber was actually a, a preseason All-American first team nominee so this is a guy that had high hopes coming into the season and he's just been living up to him ever since week one is now unions almost cracking that top 10 in the d3 rankings but the dutchman just non-stop they just keep rolling to to victories and iker raber's just been carrying the squad yeah and it's really not union's fault either that they haven't been able to crack crack the top 10 because those teams in the top 10 just continue to win week after week after week. And so does union. So it's, it's hard to really, you know, put the blame on them. Um, I think they actually slipped the spot in the D three football poll this past week after the Hobart 
Hobart win in overtime just because the number what was the number 13 team moved up a spot because they had a dominant dominating win over their opponent. So like really that, that top 12, 13 ish teams, those are all teams that really could make a case to be in the top 10. And, you know, once we get into the NCAA tournament, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And union now ranked 11th in the American football coaches association poll and 13th in the D three football.com poll. They go on the road to 23 slash 24 Ithaca, for a 1 p.m. kickoff this Saturday. And speaking of Ithaca football, Joe will turn to RPI as the two teams squared off this last Saturday in Troy as the engineers upset what was the undefeated number 13 slash 15 team in the country by a score of 14 to 11. That's not a typo, 14 to 11 to get back to their winning ways and move to seven and one and get back in the D3football.com poll at number 23. Yeah, the defense was able to stand and hold a, a really solid Ithaca offense to just 11 points. Now RPI cracks, like you said, the number 13 spot got back to their winning ways. They're now seven and one. Um, But yeah, RPI is just really good. Great defensive win that when you see when, when your team only scores 14 points and you're still able to get out of there with a win, it's just, it just um speaks volumes to the defense. Yeah, and Ithaca really dominated offensively. They put up 334 yards. RPI only had 188. But that defense, like like with Union, they they really came up when it mattered as Ithaca's kicker Nico Bahamande missed a 35-yard field goal with 30 seconds left as RPI sent a lot of pressure and almost blocked the kick. So Union came up big on that fourth down in overtime, Joe, like you mentioned, against Hobart that sealed the win for them. And the engineers defense came up big when it mattered most in the winning seconds of the fourth quarter to preserve the win over Ithaca. Yeah. RPI able to, to get the win. And Jay, one thing we should mention here was the uh, one of the, our guests we've had on George Marinopoulos was four of five for 46 yards and a touchdown, but apparent injury took him out of the game. And now the, the under center now for RPI is going to be um, Matt Perkusky as well. And depending how long George is out for, we hope, he gets back quick and well, but it looks like Perkusky may be under center for the engineers for a little while. Yeah, we do want to send out our best wishes to George. Like you said, Joe, he was one of our previous guests here on the Palazzi Corner, and not just because he was one of our guests, but because he's a great football talent and he's a great guy as well. So you don't, you never want to see anyone get hurt, and I think that extends a little bit more to someone that you know we've built a little bit of a personal relationship with, and you know someone that was nice enough to come on the to come on our show and, and talk to us for a little while as well. So, but like you said, they did hand it over to Peter Kusky, Matt Peter Kusky, who was under center. Um, he did have a really solid game. He, he threw seven of 11 for 86 yards and a touchdown. But the thing that stuck out to me in the most show was he didn't turn the ball over. And that was the thing. He didn't throw an interception. He didn't fumble. He kept the ball in his teammates' hands and his own in his own hands. He took a sack. He didn't throw the ball away. He didn't make any dumb decisions. And I think that really helped RPI to the victory. Yeah, that's so big, obviously, when a backup quarterback comes in to a game between two nationally ranked teams. It's a lot easier said than done to keep your cool, especially with how good George Marinopoulos has been for the RPI engineers, especially when you're going up against such a great defense like Ithaca carries. That It's a really tall task to not only make good plays, but also just keep the ball in your team's possession. Don't make any dumb reads, no picks, no fumbles. Hold on to it. Do the best you can. And Perkusky did a did a real good job with that. 
Yeah, and ultimately it allowed RPI to get the victory. They did it, like we said, only put up 188 yards of their offense. And even though they only had two solid drives, they both ended in touchdowns, which ultimately made the difference as Ithaca turned them all over and down three times in RPI territory. And they really just couldn't fin- finish off enough drives in the end zone. And it came back to bite them. Yeah, now uh, looking forward, Jay, we're only going to have one game or RPI only has one game left at St. Lawrence this upcoming Saturday. Then we're going to have the Dutchman Shoes game, which I'm really excited for. These are two really good teams this year that are just on a collision course for each other on November 13th. Yeah, it's going to be a great game no matter what. It'd be even better if Union can go on the road and beat Ithaca, come in undefeated next weekend, and RPI can take care of business when they go up to Canton, New York, not Canton, Ohio. They're not going to the Hall of Fame. And they're playing St. Lawrence, who is 4-4, four and four, but they are 1-5 in their last five. They but they are one in four in their last five games up in Canton against St. Lawrence. So you don't want to get caught up there. It's definitely could be a little bit of a dangerous game, a trap game, especially like you said, Joe, with the Dutchman shoes game coming up next week. And it could be a tough matchup since they have had their struggles. And who knows if they're going to have George Marinopoulos. He was listed as QB one in the game notes. So it seems like he's going to be able to come back and play. That's what kind of the, the signs point to happening, but Look, taking a look at the video, it didn't look like, you know, a great injury. Obviously, an injury is never great, but just the way he went down, he wasn't able to come back in the game. We're just going to have to see if he's out there on the field for the engineers this Saturday. Yeah, obviously, you hope George is going to be out there. You hope your QB1 is going to be out there, but seems like Peter Kuski was up to the task against Ithaca, and maybe he's going to get his, his first start of the year as well. We'll see. Awesome. So two big games to keep an eye on coming up. This weekend, obviously, with the Union Dutchman and RPI Engineers. And like you said, Joe, they are coming down for a collision course for the Dutchman Shoes game, which is next weekend in Schenectady. But, Joe, we'll move on to the next topic here, where we've been, our next segment, something we debuted in the last episode. You're obviously out of town still, back at school in Oswego. So I'll take this one. We'll touch first on the Shenandoah at CBA football game. CBA defeated Shen 33 to 27 and Shen went up 20 to seven before CBA put up 26 unanswered to eventually lead 33 to 20. Yeah, Jay, the game of the week, Shenandoah at CBA, the, the, uh, the high school football playoffs just right around the corner, but um, big win for CBA. Like you said, Shen went up 20 to seven before CBA put up 26 unanswered to eventually lead 33 to 20. Big comeback by CBA and the brothers were able to get the job done. Yeah, they really went blow for blow right right from the jump, Joe. It was 20 to 20 at half. We were at, or I was at the Gilderland game last week when they faced off against CBA. And that final score is what, 14 to seven? So to have a 20 20 game at half was a little bit of a change of pace from one Friday to the next. But uh, two incredible identical plays from CBA quarterback Donald Jones are what stood out to me. I kind of said this lightning struck twice where. He took the snap in the shotgun. He kind of ran to the left looking for a pass out left. He fumbled the ball, just kind of fell out of hands. his hands. It went a few yards behind him. He kind of turned around, did a 180, picking it, picked it up. He went the other way, and he found an open receiver down the field for a touchdown, not once, but twice. Two incredible plays. The first one was probably a little bit more difficult um, and unexpected because Uh, CBA had the ball maybe right around their 35 or 40 yard line. So he had to throw the ball a little bit farther as opposed to the second one where CBA was either on or or right in the edge of the red zone. So uh, two great plays otherwise from Jones and those big plays really allowed CBA to get out to the lead and take the victory. You think that second one was intentional by any chance? 
<laughs> you, you see you see that first one see the magic happen maybe see a safety start leaking down be too aggressive trying to get on a fumble and next thing you know we'll pop him off for a second one honestly it, he i mean he's i don't want to say it was intentional but he is a dynamic player he's only a sophomore as well and he plays both sides of the football like he's a fun kid to watch so i don't know if it was intentional but i don't think you could have been mad after it happened the second time and he made the same exact play and they both resulted in the same exact result, six points on the board. So yeah, you can't you can't be too mad whenever you're finding the end zone, obviously. But not at all. Win. What Absolutely. a win for CBI. It's it's Shen's not an easy team to come back to come back against either. They're always well coached, well disciplined, and they're they're usually just when they're ahead. You, I mean, CBI is always good. Don't get me wrong, but when you see Shen ahead twenty seven, you know those coaches are are staying on their guys, keep their foot on the pedal. Defense got to stay strong, but what a comeback from CBI. Yeah, and it was a, a huge game for playoff implications, Joe, as CBA taking the win allows two rematches to happen in Section Section 2 Class AA football in the first round of the playoffs coming up, which is going to be tonight as Gitterland will host CBA in the 2-3 matchup and Shaker will host Shen in the 1-4 matchup. Jay, tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like it's always between these four teams. I feel I feel like we we usually don't see a whole lot of Bethlehem or Niskayuna or Mohan. I feel like I feel like we see we see some kind of mix and matches of of Gilderland, CBA, Shannon, Shaker. I feel like those are usually the four there. But right now, Jay, if, if you had to say as of right now, who do you got winning? Who do you got winning this uh this this postseason championship? And don't say that's, Gilderland unless you genuinely hard. mean it. That's hard for me to say, Joe. Uh, first of all, I want to say we. I feel like recent in, in recent years it has really been these four teams in one way or another, and, and you did say that we've seen a little bit of Saratoga, uh, you know, especially back like when we were in school, but maybe not as much now. But like you said, it it's really kind of felt like it's been these four teams for a long time. Oh, and I answer your second question there. You said who do I think is the best team in Section Two, at least Class Double A. I have to hand it to Shaker. I think Gilderland is not far behind them, especially with how Gilderland has played recently. They just put up a program record in points in a home game this past Friday against Schenectady. I think they scored 64. So Schenectady, maybe not the greatest of opponents. No offense to Schenectady, but Gilderland, I think, is right behind them. You know, we've seen Gilderland's defense really step up too. I mean, Gerland has really only allowed points. I think they allowed six to Schenectady, seven to CBA. And then the rest of the season was shutouts, except for the game against Shaker. So the defense is right there. They have a really great defense. They're going to have Troy Bershwinger coming back for the playoffs, who is a key player on that Dutchman defense. He was, he's been out for a few weeks because he had emergency surgery. And now he's about to make a return to the football field, which has been an incredible story. That will be huge to have him back in the playoffs too, because really every, every guy that, you know, I've heard talk on that team and the coaches as well have really said, about how much of a key impact player he's been. So for the defense to stay just as stout with his absence, you know, imagine to have that guy, you know, come back and make a presence in the in the playoffs is going to be huge. And hopefully he's not coming back with with the brakes on it all, and he's not worried about you know his his colon, which I believe he had emergency surgery on or his stomach area. But you know, he's a guy that you know if he can go out there and play full force and put his helmet down. You know, he's going to make big plays, and I think it's going to be awesome to have him back for the Dutchman and Coach Benner here uh, 
not only this week against CBA, but as, as long as they get the win for the for remainder of the playoffs. But yeah, Joe, I, I definitely think, you know, at least in my eyes, Shaker is going to be the favorite, but we'll see how it plays out. It's always entertaining, you know, this time of year, not only in class double A, but really all across section two. And it should be, you know, just as exciting this year to see how the, the, the games play out. Yeah. I'm really excited for it. Like we, like we've been saying, it seems to be a lot of the same four teams and these four teams just go back and forth year after year. It, I feel like it's really hard to call who's going to end up coming out on top just because they're always so close together. And I haven't gotten the eye test on any of them, but we're going to hope our Dutchman pull it out. And I'm going to go. That, that's my pick for this, Jay. I'm just going to say Gilderland just because I haven't been able to get the eye test on any four of them. And I'm so rooting for the say, great story. So, so you say I can't pick Gilderland, but you can because <laughs> you've, had, you've had eyes on them. You've been able to scout. And you've been able to give a better pick. I haven't even seen Shaker and I picked Shaker. You know, that's a fair point. I've seen the other three teams and, but I've, I've, I've heard a lot of great things about Shaker and their tremendous program. They've had a lot of success, especially within these last few years. And they've turned out a lot of great individual players and teams collectively, but Shaker and Gerland, I think are the top two CBA obviously should be right. I mean, I think they're right at three, maybe Shen's, a couple of tiers down at four, especially after they took a 13 point loss to CBA, like we just talked about, but, and onto the Albany Firewolves open house show. That's also where I was at this past Saturday and great event. Awesome. Awesome time to be had uh, over at the times union center. I'm extremely looking forward to this season. I know we've talked about it both on the podcast and personally and with our friends for now a while, but the season is now right around the corner. We're hoping to get, someone from the firewolves to come on the podcast as we get close to the season. I don't want to reveal anyone yet, but Joe and I have had a couple conversations and we just have to kind of reach out to those players and see if they're interested in coming on. But otherwise the excitement I think is here. And I think ultimately we're just ready for face off to come and the season to start. Yeah. Jay firewolf seasons upon us, the open house, like you said, just doing this every week, this, this, um, you know, what's going on or where we've been, what's going on in the five, one, eight, I'm excited to get back home for, for Thanksgiving break, for winter break. I, I love Oswego, but with all these things you've been going to, first off, if, if it doesn't make the listener sitting in Albany right now, look around them and say, damn, why am I not going to these things? I would kill to be in Albany going to these things. You're at, you're at the high school football games, these huge games, the Albany Firewolves open house. It's so many things happening. And in case we didn't have enough great sporting teams and great venues in Albany, we just added indoor box lacrosse. We got the Albany Firewolves open house as well. Jay, you can you can talk about your experience, but I'm really excited to get to one of these games. Joe, scale of one to ten, how how excited are you to drive back to Albany on a random Saturday to see one of these games? And second, how much would you die for there to be something like this out in Oswego, New York? Um, to to see to to drive back on a random day and see it. Um, probably like a seven point. Eight, I could see it being more of like a spontaneous thing. And in the moment, it's going to be like a 9.4. Um, that's probably not going to be something I'd plan ahead. It'd be like sitting around on a on a Thursday morning and like, hey, I'll come home this weekend, catch a Firewolves game. Let's do it. Um, for it to be in Oswego, oh, I feel like part of me says the people in Oswego would turn out and absolutely love it and go crazy for it. Like if you put it in like a small arena, I could see it. Um, part of me also says that they'd have no interest because lacrosse is to kind of preppy for a lot of people on us we go um to personally to have it out here i'd be hyped i know our us we are 
Uh, I'm excited for our uh, SUNY Oswego lacrosse team in the spring, but to have an indoor box team, I think it's going to be a whole different kind of energy. Um, I'm really excited to get to one of these games at the TU. Yeah, and it was really a cool environment this past Saturday at the open house. I'm sure that it's going to be an incredible environment on game day as well, but uh, walked into the front of the TU, checked in. They had a great setup in the lobby with some merchandise. They had like the inflatable, you know, if you go to like a football game, they have like the, the inflatable field goal or the like the receivers with like the openings where you can like throw the football into. Yeah. They had that, but for lacrosse. And then they had like a cheerleader stand. And then, you know, you walk straight ahead, you went right past the fountain and you could go right up the glass behind the goal. And that was, you know, really awesome where you could be right up on the action. Uh, you know, I went with Angelina, my girlfriend. We sat right in the front row, um, right in one of like the offensive zones and one of the end zones. And I mean, they were like shooting the balls, like right up against the glass. Like guys were like, like passing and like shooting really hard right off the glass in front of you. It's like, it's, it's really an incredible experience. I can't imagine what it's going to be like on, you know, opening night or really any of the home games this season when it's actually game action and it's full speed. Cause there was no real scrimmage or anything that really resembled the game this past Saturday, but just even to see the guys practice and be, you know, shooting the ball at such a close distance at, you know, such speed and the goalies, you know, to have, you know, such agility and quickness in net as well. You know, it really has, you know, at least from as far as I could tell, like that, that hockey feel, but just, you know, lacrosse, obviously not being on skates and, and, you know, you're not playing with the same stick. Yeah. It seems, seems like a great experience being able to get that close, but Jay, one thing that you made me think of when you mentioned the inflatable lacrosse game, just this is very not related whatsoever, but you know, the like you said, the, the wide receiver thing, the inflatable football thing you can do. Recently, past few years in, at the college football championship, or either that or the, the semifinals, they've had like the Dr. Pepper halftime thing. Yeah. It needs to be talked about how criminal it is that some of these people have been throwing the ball underhand. Oh, yeah. It's not, that's not how it should be done. But anyways, um, yeah, no, it seems, it seems like it was a great experience. Just, and it's going to be great for the fans, obviously, just being able to get that close to not only just your favorite players and whoever it may be, because I'm sure a lot of people here don't have favorite players yet, but whether some people had some cool interactions with players on that day or just being able to get that close to the game, I'm sure was was a great experience for a lot of people. And hopefully they sell some tickets and put some butts in the seats at the TU. Absolutely. The season opens less than a month from today, Joe, where they are going to Toronto before the home opener, November 18th against Rochester. So what are we, a month and 13 days out? What is that? 44, 43, 44 days, not a math major, but man, we are getting really close to uh, the firewall season kicking off and uh, it's definitely heating up down there at the TU. Yeah. I'm real excited to, uh, to get behind, get behind the glass for one of these. I'm put me there. I don't care how much these tickets are front row. Give me, I don't want to be right behind the goalie. Cause I want a ball to come right the glass. And like, it'll have that same effect as when you're watching a baseball game on TV and the person sitting behind home plate and the foul, someone fouls a pitch off and they just jump. I want to have that same effect. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll do our best show. We'll have to see what we can make happen. Uh, but we'll, we'll pivot now into a kind of a, a dual a combined segment, the follow-up slash good things that happened a couple segments that we've talked about in previous episodes here on the Palazzi corner, but only one topic for this one. And the man deserves his own, his own segment. And that's Ian Anderson, 2021 world series champion. Yeah, world champion is right, Jay. Now uh, you can add that on. Shenandoah graduate, professional baseball player, World Series champion, Ian Anderson, threw five no-hit shutout innings in game three. 
and he was just dealing all night long. He was, I was going to say decently unhittable, but he was unhittable. Five no-hit innings. He's quickly becoming one of the greatest postseason pitchers in the game right now with how outstanding his postseason was this year and how great he was last year. He's starting to get some national attention for it as well. And he was phenomenal, and he was crucial for the Atlanta Braves all October. Yeah, he's made eight career postseason start show, and he has the second lowest postseason ERA through those eight career starts at 1.26. He's tied with Cliff Lee, baseball legend, and behind another baseball legend in Orlando Hernandez at 1.22. So Ian Anderson has definitely made the case to, at least so far in his career, be one of the best postseason pitchers, really, of his generation. Um, and to think that he's only 23, this run of dominance could continue on for a very long time. Yeah, Jay, one thing that um that, that kind of stood out to me, after the Astros took game five, we were heading to Houston for game six and seven with the Braves just needing one more win. The one thing that stood out to me was how Max Freed has been a little shaky in October, or this October at least, um, with Freed lining up to throw game six and Ian Anderson lining up to throw game seven with how great he's been. One main question I've been having is, if you're a Braves fan, who do you trust to get the win more? Are you trusting Freed or Anderson? I was thinking if the Braves lost game six, Ian Anderson was going to put the Braves in a great spot with a lot of confidence going into game seven. Didn't end up getting that far. I would have loved to see him throw in game seven. I'm sure he would have done extremely well. But nonetheless, he's still a world champion, whether or not he had to throw that last game. Max Freed was able to get the job done. He threw a great game six, and Ian Anderson's got a ring on his finger now. Yeah, to answer your question, Joe, I, I don't know if you saw the graphic when Frieder was warming up, but his last like two starts, he had like a 10 ERA or something. I mean, he had been brutal. He had a tremendous last two months of the season from August 1st on. Like his first 13 starts were incredible. And then his last two starts were the opposite of incredible. And so I, I you couldn't feel really confident. I don't think if you're a Braves fan, unless you had hoped that he had found his you know, regular season form that, you know, last couple of months form where he was dominant in, in those final two months, which he did in game six and obviously showed out and helped the Braves get, you know, the world, the world series championship. Cause he was, he was lights out. I mean, even after that offense went up quick with that uh, home run by Soler, I mean, you could just tell from the beginning freed was on and he was lights out and, and he was not stopping. Yeah. He was just great all night long, but Ian Anderson's got a ring. That's that's unbelievable, and he's part of a really solid young core in there. Maybe more coming his way as well. Yeah, Joe. Uh, also, it would have been interesting to see if he, you know, how he would have done in Game Seven, like you said. But I think he's okay with never finding out. John Smoltz had talked about, you know, on the broadcast as a color commentator that he had been in line for the Braves World Series in '95 when they last won. That he was going to pitch Game Seven after Glavin in Game Six. And he didn't want the ball. He was like, get this over with. I don't want the pressure. I don't want to be the game seven guy. So uh, I heard of that, that, you know, that sentiment brought up by Smoltz. And I was interested to see if, if Ian thought the same way, but who knows? Well, maybe we'll just have to have Ian Anderson on and ask him ourselves. but good for Ian. He had a whip under one, an ERA of 1.59 and a batting average against a 0.153 this postseason. And it's going to be very exciting to see how his, uh, career continues to trend. I assume it's going upwards. So definitely going to be an interesting thing that we're going to, you know, be sure to keep a close eye on for hopefully years to come, but we'll get into our interview portion of the episode. Joe, we are very lucky to have on you already head men's basketball coach, Dwayne Killings. Yeah. Great interview with coach Dwayne Killings. Got a lot of stuff to cover in this one. 
obviously a fresher new face to the capital region scene. So the, the listener is going to get a, a really good look at his background and going to get, going to get a look as well at, at the upcoming season. It's we love Will Brown and we now we, we love DK as well, but um, you know, it's a new face on the bench this year for the U Albany men's basketball squad. And this is going to be one of the best looks you're going to have at him that, that, that that's out there really. Yeah, Joe. And, and, We'll be honest with the viewers here. I think I may have mentioned it earlier, but we have not recorded this interview yet, so we can't exactly say what's to come, but I'm sure it's going to be a great interview. Uh, We are going to record it with Coach Killings, and we're right around the corner from the season starting. So he's a very busy man. You know, he was, uh, you know, good enough to lend us some of his time out of his busy schedule and uh, hop on the Palazzi corner to talk a little bit about his journey and uh, what's to come in this 2021-2022 campaign? Yeah, we're real excited for this interview. I know some questions we got in store, and they're real solid. You can listen to them on the ep- or on the interview coming in just a few minutes. But we're doing this interview in about 12 hours. Um, you're going to listen to the interview here in, in just a couple minutes on this episode. And then we're going to time travel. And when you hear the end of this episode, it'll be the wrap, and that'll be after we already interviewed DK. So... Usually, a little behind-the-scenes look for you. We usually record the interview before we do the podcast. We talk the preview, and then we pause it, and then we do the wrap. But we're going to time travel a little bit, going into tomorrow's after, or tomorrow's wrap-up, and we're going to cover that tomorrow. But I'm sure it's going to be a great interview with Coach Killings. My mind is kind of in in a pretzel from all that time traveling, Joe, but I'm sure it's going to be a great interview as well. I'm very excited to get into it. We thank Coach Killings for his time. And uh, we'll send it in to the Coach Dwayne Killings interview. We now want to welcome on UAlbany head men's basketball coach Dwayne Killings onto the Palazzi Corner. Coach, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great, man. I, I got no complaints at all. We're finishing a, a week up, and then we're a few days away from our first game. And uh, life is good, man. Life is good. Awesome. So, Coach, we want to, uh, before we get into where you are now, we want to kind of go back through your earlier days and touch on your background and where you came from. So you grew up in Amherst, Mass, right across the border from where we are in Albany. You went to Amherst Regional High School before you walked out at UMass. So as a young basketball player or fan, was that always your goal? Did you always want to attend the hometown school or was there another reason why you picked UMass? Uh, yeah, you know, I, my father worked at UMass. Um, I went to, you know, uh, preschool on campus at UMass and I grew up on the campus, um, kind of knew my way around and Coach Cal came blowing into town and you know, shook the town up um, in terms of what he was able to do with the basketball program. He recruited high-level guys. They won games. They, I can remember, you know, going to UMass to watch UMass play Kansas. And, you know, I remember the, the guys from the John Tate days all the way to uh, Marcus Canby and everything in between. And I fell in love with the game of basketball then. And I fell in love with what it did for our community. And I always kind of, like, thought about maybe one day I could play for the program. Um and as I got older, the opportunity was extended to myself, and it was a dream come true and to be a part of that program for a couple of years. So, Coach, you played basketball. Uh, you went to UMass for a couple of years. You transferred to Hampton. And then right out of college, you got a job with an NBA team with the Hornets. Uh, what did you learn with them that propelled you and, you know, put you on this path for your coaching career? Um, you know, I learned the power of a relationship. You know, that was really important. Um, there were really good people there. I mean, the people I worked with, when I was in Charlotte have gone on to become NBA head coaches, general managers, um, commissioners of, of NCAA conferences. I mean, high level people. And, you know, those group of people that took care of each other. Um, 
really understood the the value of high character people. When I say that, not just in our staff, but you know, in the players that we got. You know, Coach Bickerstaff, when he was in town as a general manager, you know, he always erred towards competitors, but also you know, quality human beings. And you know, it it presented an opportunity for us to build the franchise, and people gravitated towards it because they were good people. You know, and and we had to grow the product on the court, but it was focused on people. Um, and then also, you know, guys took just kind of put their arm around me and helped guide me through my career. And I've always believed that because people kind of did that for me, I needed to extend that back as my career moved on. And that's what I'm trying to do right now as a head coach here at UAlbany. Yeah, coach, I want to jump forward kind of to the more present day. You spent the past three years at Marquette. Um, What are some of the biggest things you learned there, especially as an associate head coach that you're going to look to bring into UAlbany now in your head coaching duties? Yeah, planning. Um, you know, with Coach Wojciechowski, he gave me a lot of freedom, um, you know, was able to be a part of a staff that put together a top 20 recruiting class, um, then followed that up with a class of, you know, some freshmen that are at um, Marquette right now that, you know, uh, Coach Shaka Smart, you know, raves about. And I think, you know, they have two kids, Stevie Mitchell and, and um, Cameron Jones, who they have a chance to be like household names. And uh, he's been really impressed as he got them. And that was just through hard work you know, identifying talent and, and not necessarily going where everybody goes. It's trusting your eyes and trusting the opportunities. Um, you know, in-game planning is, is a huge part of it. Um, you know, he gave us freedom there. And, you know, we had some really good weapons. You know, DJ Carton was playing in, in uh, the Hornets G League system. Justin Lewis, who's poised to be, you know, an all-league player in the Big East. Um, Dawson Garcia, who transferred to, to North Carolina. I mean, these are high-level guys. And managing a team and a program on a day-to-day basis, you know, it takes a lot of attention to detail. It was a fortune to be a part of that. And then I think what we've done here and what we're growing here is our ability to game plan from a scouting perspective. I think that was, it's a huge thing in the Big East. You know, you're trying to win a possession. And if you can win one in the Big East, it's, it makes the difference of, of wins and losses, especially when you think about the kind of talent, but it's no different in the American East. You know, you're all trying to win games and there's good players on the court and we got to try to stop the actions as they're happening. So, Coach, obviously you've had a lot of success as an associate head coach and assistant coach throughout your career, but now you're getting your first head coaching opportunity. So what were some of the biggest deciding factors and why you decided to take the job here at UAlbany? And what do you look to do this season and beyond uh, as you, you know, now have your program? Yeah, I think it was all about fit. You know, I think, you know, it was a fit for me, a fit for my family. Uh, Mark Benson is is a great partner, a great boss. Um, He's got a great vision for the program. Um, Javi Don's got a great vision for the university. And then I think they both gravitated towards, you know, the plan that I put in front of them for how I would run the program. Um, you know, for me, it's built on community engagement, campus engagement, and then growing our students both on and off the court. And they've been terrific. And I could see it here. You know, I could see myself here. I could see my family here. You know, I built my career, although I was at Marquette in the Midwest, you know, my career has been built through the Northeast corridor. And you can recruit through your contacts and through the kids that are connected to this region. And I think it's a it's a place that's primed to have success. Um, we just got to get to our plan and stick to it. Yeah, Coach, you mentioned the success. This is a program with, with obviously lots of success in its history, but you're coming in now, and how are you planning to either balance the, the successful history with also kind of trying to change the culture going forward? Um, you know, I, I've talked to former players, you know, I, I talked to Jamar Wilson the other day and just talked about, you know, what did this place mean um, to him? And, you know, he actually sent me a message that I'll play for the team here pretty soon. Um, and, you know, it's 
it's his program. You know, he, he put the bricks, you know, through this and some of the exciting moments, him and Peter Hooley and those kind of guys. I think it's important that you reflect on what they did and you connect the past to the present. And then for the culture, we're trying to shift it. I mean, we're trying to do things differently. And I think, you know, we use the word mentality. We're trying to change the mentality both internally and externally. So I'm trying to change the mentality of how basketball is received and used uh, at, here at the university. And I say the word used intentionally because I think we're a great platform, you know, for the school. Um, you know, you talk about creating tradition. You can do that through men's basketball. Retention, we can do that through men's basketball. Just simply by creating a great fan experience that kids love. Well, guess what? They love that. They're going to love their school even more. You know, we can help with alumni um, relations because when people see a quality product and if we're traveling to New York or playing here in Albany, former students, you know, that went to school here and the alumni, they want to come support the program. And it makes them a little bit prouder to wear the shirts and buy the gear and all that. I think we can be, you know, such a big asset. Um, we got to grow the program. You know, it takes time. We got to be patient with it. But, you know, we're just working our plan. Um, we're telling our story. I think our kids are just so hungry to get out there and compete and showcase who they are and what they're capable of doing. And then, you know, I, I say it to everybody that will listen. I say it to you guys. You know, we got to do this together. You know, our kids are going to play hard. I need your help because I need you to bring some energy and bring some fans to Seth Q Arena because if it just happens in the building without the people around it, we, we need energy, we need environment to be able to overcome the competition. I mean, bringing Towson in here and Harvard in here for our first two games, I mean, those are, those are tall tasks. And, you know, we need everybody to help support us to overcome it. Yeah, Coach, you mentioned just bringing energy to the building, obviously, with so many empty arenas last year, and even the America East was in that. How much do you think that's going to change the game this year, going from empty arenas to now looking to pack the SEFQ this year? Yeah, I mean, I think at first it's going to be a distraction, you know, for our guys, because they're going to be looking around like, wow, there's people here. You know, for some of these kids that never played in front of their parents, you get that opportunity is awesome. Um, for some of them that never played in front of college fans. So, I, it's a good distraction, but we, you know, the thing I said to the guys and I'll say to them on Tuesdays, we got to get lost in the game. You know, the environment's great. We want to feel it. You know, we want to enjoy it. And that's part of it. It's a byproduct of what we're trying to do, but you got to get lost in what we're trying to get accomplished for 40 minutes. Um, but it, I'm happy to have fans back. I mean, that's what makes college basketball, football, lacrosse. I, this makes it fun, you know, having people in there and you know, you got people up there high five and you got your parents, your grandparents, your neighbors, your friends, your dorm mates, teachers, professors, you know, leaders on campus all in the building. And especially in the wintertime, you know, we can warm up that building and at least for a couple hours, we can be warm before we step outside. Absolutely. So, Coach, you, you talked about a little bit um, some of the biggest buzzwords you've used at mean words like mentality and being intentional. So where do these words come from and why has it been so important for you to incorporate buzzwords like those into your program? Well, I think first and foremost, you know, it, it's telling you who, what I'm about. And, you know, I think everybody's like, okay, well, you know, what is this guy saying about what he's trying to do with this program, both in the short term and the long term? Um, you know, for me, mentality is everything because it's how I got here. Um, I try to be a very positive person at 12 years old. My father had a stress-induced heart attack. So I said, you know, if I can change my mentality to be a positive person and having a positive outlook, I, I think you had a better shot to have a better day. Um, I think I'm a firm believer is we attract what we believe in. Um, that's my mentality for that. Um, I think when I got here, I wanted to shift the mentality for our players to give them more confidence. I wanted them to stand a little bit taller and, and be more confident who they are as both players and people. 
Um, and, you know, I've been very intentional about the work that we've done. You know, it was important to me um, to get in the community. You know, that was intentional because before you start talking about coming in and watch games and the things that you want to do here, you got to understand the place that you're living in. Um, you know, I was very intentional about raising my family in Albany. And I think being the head coach at Albany, you know, living in the city is, is an important thing. And you got to feel it, um, both the good and the bad. And, you know, being intentional with the people that you're meeting in the community, people that have and some people that don't have enough, because I think there's opportunities um, to impact people on a really high level, but on a really intimate level. And then I think at the same time, we can grow our players by them giving back us kind of extending our arm and pulling people into our university, into our campus, into our program. Um, I think there are things we're supposed to do. Yeah, coach, seems like you're preaching a lot of great messages to the team this year. But in, in your eyes, what's going to make this season a success for you guys? Is it going to be in the wins and losses? Is it going to be a specific stat you're looking at? What what in your eyes makes the season a success? Growth. Yeah, I think it's all about growth. We got to grow the program. I got to grow as a coach. I got to grow my staff to grow my players. Um, I think if, you know, if I take Will Amika and if he grows as a player, there's success there. If Trey Perry grows as a leader and in his opportunity, there's growth there. I think if we grow as a connected unit, there's growth there. And then at the end of the season, when it's time to go to the conference tournament, we're going to be the best team that we can be. And then we got to show up and we got to win. Um, you know, our goal is to win a championship. I mean, we, why would we not do that? I don't know any coach that's going to go into the season saying, you know, we can't win. You know, you, you, you work every day trying to figure out ways to win. And then, you know, at the end of the year, we're going to be the best team that we can be. And then what comes from that comes from that. And we'll, we'll go from there. So coach, you've, you've been uh, the head coach at UAlbany now for 233 days, dating back to March 17th of 2021. So where do you hope to be, or what do you hope to achieve short-term wise in the next 233 days? You know, where's, where do you go from here in, in the next, you know, few months this season and, uh, you know, how are you going to really take this season and try to, you know, encapsulate what you're trying to do with your program? A great question. Um, I, I was keeping track at 100 and then I lost track. So <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of things I hope to do in the next 200 days, but I think I want to make people care about our program. Um, I think that would be huge. I think, you know, our program needs more resources. You got to make people care about us as people and our program to grow that, to get fans. You got to make them care. Um I think to get the media attention that we deserve, you gotta make people care about it. Um, I think that's one of the words that I've used. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, I wanna embrace every challenge that is there. That's why we have the schedule that we have. Um, that's why we're gonna play Kentucky and Boston College and LaSalle and Harvard, because if we can challenge ourselves, it's gonna make us pretty good when we get to the conference play. And then, um, you know, the other thing is I, I think whether we're doing community engagement, we're trying to reach people on campus, we're trying to get over a ball screen, we're trying to get to the rim and make, make a play, we're trying to make jump shots. We got to have urgency. And I, I don't want to lose that. I think, you know, being at places like Marquette, UConn, Temple, you operate with a high level of urgency, right? Because there's a lot of people that pay attention to your programs. There's just, there's a lot of things you have to manage. Um, I, I want to maintain that here. And, and I want to create a level of urgency for our program, um, for opportunities of growth. You know, I, I say here, they're not challenges, you know, the things we have in front of us. They're just growth opportunities. But let's attack those things with high level of urgency and effort and care. And, and, and I think our staff is doing that. Our players are doing it. Um, and if we're able to do that off the court, 
then when there's a loose ball on the floor, we're going to have the urgency that's required to go get it. And the only thing I ask in return is when we get that ball, I need everybody to cheer like crazy for these kids. Yeah, Coach, I want to talk a little bit about specifically on the court. What are you guys working on in practice, gearing up for opening night going forward? And then is there any specific players that you think the, the Albany faithful should be looking out for this season? We're trying to build winning habits. Um, you know, and that's hard. You know, some some things, some guys haven't been at places that have won. You know what I mean? And, and you got to teach them that. Or the ways that we want to win, you got to teach them that. So you got to live in the details. Sometimes you got to be patient and move slow. Sometimes you can move a little faster. It just depends on the day. Um, you know, I, I think the things that we really focus on is, you know, defending. We want to be a versatile defensive team. Um, ball movement on offense is really key. You know, we, you'll see when we start playing, we try to spread the floor and open it up and let jazz guys play off their creativity and their versatility and drive and kick and make plays. Sometimes start moving fast and that ball goes out of bounds though. Um, but that's okay. You know, I think that's what's supposed to happen in November for a brand new program. Now, when you get to December, January, and February, I think you see that less and you start to see who we really can become. Um, you know, we, we will play fast at times. We have to play smart though. You know, we can't just, uh, you know, let these guys fly around, you know, like we're in Saratoga on the racetrack, you know, we gotta be smart. You know, we gotta kind of control the pace. We wanna give the guys some freedom. Um, to get up and down and, you know, we'll press a little bit at times, you know, it's going to be an entertaining, entertaining style of play, but I think what you're going to love the most is the passion the kids have for each other. You know, you look on the bench, the guy makes a layup, the guy celebrating is going to be happier than the guy that made the layup. That's what we want to create here. Um, you know, in terms of the players, I think Jamel Horton's had a great summer, great fall. I think he can be a great defender, um, a great distributor of the basketball um, Matt Cerruti has been an unbelievable shooter. I mean, the kid just works. I mean, if you came to practice at 2.30, he's in the gym at 2, just shooting. And, you know, I'll say this all year. He's going to make some shots that are going to help us win games. He made the shot that he makes in the game. He, he made that June and July because he's been working. Dre Perry has been just a great leader. I mean, he's an everyday guy. I mean, every day he brings his lunch pail and his hard hat and he goes to work. I mean, he's just an old school blue collar guy that I think the community is going to gravitate towards because he, he plays the right way. Um, and then, you know, when you go down the line of the other guys in our program, um, you know, when you talk about Paul Newman, I think he's a great, you know, five man that's got a chance to um, do some really good things, you know, for us and help us grow, you know, towards what we're trying to become. Uh, Jarvis Dole's had a really good, you know, fall. Um, you know, I've challenged him to do more, and he's embraced that challenge. And I, I think our four freshmen are guys you're going to see hit the court. You know, they're, they're good players, man. And the, the future is bright with those kids. You know, they're going to – you're throwing them into the fire a little bit. Um, but those four freshmen are going to impress people. Yeah, Coach, I want to start to wrap things up a little bit here. You, you've been in the Albany area for about seven months now, and you mentioned how you wanted to bring your family to Albany. Is there any place in Albany that's really been sticking out to you, whether it be athletically, casually, a restaurant, an attraction, whatever it may be? What are some of your favorite places in the capital region? Um, a favorite workout place. My wife and I go to a place called Power. It's owned by Brittany Burnham, who's a, an Albany alum. She played softball here. Every morning I get my butt kicked in, in a high-intensity workout. That's my spot. Um, you know, my kids, they, they go to Aframs for soccer and, and grind time. Um, Will Harris, a former player, runs that. Um, Jamel Hood has a Saturday basketball league where we send our kids over there. I, I think it's great youth sports here. I mean, they do a really good job here in the community of taking care of the youth, which is, you know, pretty cool. Um, you know, for dinner, I, my wife and I, we went to um, Yono downtown and we've been a cuckoo's nest right close to campus. 
those are good spots. Um, so I told her, you know, when we win games, we got to celebrate it. So we'll try to get out to some dinners. Hopefully you see us out to dinner a lot. You don't see us a lot. That means we got to get some stuff done. But uh, yeah, always been cool, man. We like it a lot. People have been great to us. It's a great community. It fits us. It works. Um, you know, I'm really happy here. And coach, one thing I want to ask you, uh, we do a little segment at the end of our interviews with our guests. It's called up to the minute. So I know you're, you know, very much entrenched in basketball and, you know, basketball is on your mind almost all the time. But when you're away from the court, when you're out of the office, you know, what are you doing? What Netflix shows are you watching? What music maybe are you listening to podcasts? Take us, you know, into Coach Killings' life away from the basketball court. Uh, I got two young kids, so, I mean, it's hard to get away. Yeah. <laughs> That's hard. But, um, you know, it's, it's uh, I live a good life. You know, when I'm not working on this, you know, and, and I say this, not just basketball, but everything we're doing outside of it. Um, you know, I, I um, work out, obviously, I said that, you know, a few days a week, try to get out. Podcast, um, Finding Mastery by Michael Gervais is one that I enjoy. Um, the Basketball Immersion Podcast is really good. I mean, there's just tons of basketball guys in their NBA, high school, college, women's coaches. And there's so many jewels. You know, I, I stole this from Nick Saban, but I say it all the time. You know, success leaves clues. And I think there's a lot of clues out there, how you can connect dots. You just got to listen and pay attention. Um, and I try to consume. If you came to our office sometimes, you know, I have music playing. Sometimes I have a podcast playing. And, you know, I'll just jot things down because there's some good stuff out there, you know, that people are doing. And sometimes it's not the Brad Stevens of the world. It's just a local high school coach that's just really good at what he does. And, he, and he's a really good coach. Um, and I enjoy those kind of things. Um, if I'm not doing that, I'm a big journal guy. You know, I'm old school. I keep a lot of books around me and I'm writing down thoughts and notes. And just the other day, I, I have a journal that um, I was using in the 17, 18 season. And I was writing some stuff about if I ever became a head coach and actually what I wrote in there, I talked to our team about the next day. Um, and it's, you know, just thoughts, man. There's just a lot of things that stimulate ideas and opportunities. And I think in our business, you get so lucky. I mean, you're around talented students like yourself. You're around great leaders on campus, whether it's the director of a program on campus, the president, the dean of students or your AD. Um, you're around big time alums and donors and business people. You can learn so much from people because, you know, the success people have in the world, you're trying to teach your kids the same thing. It's just valuing things, right? It's valuing opportunities and uh, being organized with what you want to do. And in the end of the day, man, you know, the, to have success in basketball, you, you got to throw yourself into it. You got to be organized, got to operate with a high level of urgency. And I've been able to learn those things from all different walks of life. And I pay attention every time somebody talks. Awesome. Well, before we let you go, coach, you know, we want to stop with the questions. We want to give you the floor to deliver a message, however you want to, whoever. So you want to take this opportunity to say something to the fans, the community, your family, your players, your staff, whoever. We want to give you the open mic. So the, the floor is yours. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, to my family, I thank them because you know, they, they let me live out a dream. And, you know, the priority a lot of times is, you know, what we have to get done for this program. So, you know, them being selfless is really important to me. And, and that's one of the messages I give to our players. Um, you know, you got to be selfless because a lot of times, you know, what you're trying to do is you're trying to extend an opportunity to somebody else. You know, my team at home is my family. They give me that opportunity by letting me do the stuff that I have to do here. Sometimes it's going to be having to give it up a great, a good shot for a great shot. That's selfless. We're trying to teach our guys that. But to the community, 
and to the campus, you know, support our team. Um, but don't come support us just on November 9th because it's the first game and you want to get it out of the way, keep coming. Because I think you're going to see some exciting things and I hate for people to miss it. But I think, you know, a lot of the things that people want here at Albany is they want a fun atmosphere. I think I see it with the students, they crave it. I think people want to create tradition uh, where, you know, people have sayings like UA, you know, and people are wearing t-shirts and they're prideful of the place that they go to school. You can do all those things for a couple hours at a college basketball game, supporting our program, supporting Colleen's program. Um, but you got to come out, you know, and it can't just be for the, you know, Towson game or the Harvard game or the Vermont game. You got to keep coming because we got a chance to do something really, really special here. And, and what I hate that for people to happen is for them to come after it happens. I want you to be there while it's happening and, and say that you were there. You helped build it. You know, I'm trying to give people an opportunity to be connected to our program. I'll invite anybody to our office, to our practice. I want people to be invested in this because um, we need them and we can do it together. And then what I ask in return is let me know how we can help. You know, we can help a student. We can help a department. You know, we can help other people on campus. We can connect dots. Um, that's why our program's here. And uh, some of the dots we're connecting are, you know, trying to grow the school and our program and our resources. And then the other dots that are really important to us are connecting dots to wins. Um, but to get there, you know, we need everybody involved. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Coach. We appreciate you joining us. We know you have a very busy day ahead, so we're going to let you get to the rest of your schedule. But uh, thanks so very much for joining us, and, and good luck this season. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, man. We'll see you guys soon. Hope to see you on Tuesday. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening to the Coach Dwayne Killings interview. That was an awesome interview that we had with him, Joe, just a little while ago. And, uh, man, it was great to have him on and to discuss – his journey a little bit, but really talk about what he's intending to do with this UAlbany program, not only for this season, but for years to come. Yeah, it was a great interview. Obviously, there's so many new faces to this program, and he's a brand new coach to the program, and he's just trying to rebuild the whole thing. I thought it was interesting. He said how he's been talking to some old players, while also he's just trying to get this team out in the community. He wants as many students, teachers, professors, he wants everyone from the capital region to come out, support the team, and he knows it's going to be a successful team. He doesn't want you to wait until it's too late and end up coming out in the American East playoffs. He wants everyone there during the regular season to come out and say you've been there for the whole time. Yeah, go out there for the regular season. Keep going out for the regular season games. They open up this upcoming Tuesday, 7 p.m. tip-off at Seth Q Arena against Towson. Coach Kalings, like he mentioned in the, interview, in the interview, sounds like it's going to be an exciting atmosphere, but he's more worried about how the atmosphere is going to be once we get into December and January and not the Vermont game, but the rest of the America East schedule and, and what the turnout is going to be like at Seth Q Arena for the remainder of the home games. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping this team's going to get a good turnout. Seems like such a good guy. He said he took the Albany job because he wanted to bring his family to Albany and they're having a blast here. And it seems like everything's been going well since he came. What'd you say, Jay? 233 days ago? 233, um, yep. Yeah, but I thought I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for what Coach Killings brings to this Albany basketball program this year seems like he's really liking the guy it seems like he's really liking his first head coaching job and it seems like it's gonna be great going forward yeah absolutely joe we thank him very much again for taking some time out of his very busy schedule he's you know in, in the life of division one head coach you're busy all the time and especially being the father of two young kids like he is it, it just adds on to the responsibilities but now that we are only days away from the men's basketball season things are really ramping up around his program so very busy, but we did want to get him on as close to the season as we possibly could, which we did since this is going to be the last episode before they tip off on Tuesday. But you've been listening to the Palazzi Corner. This was episode five, the Coach Dwayne Killings interview. We thank you very much for listening, and um, we'll be back for episode six in the near future.